This is the Master Marketer Show, powered by Proofpoint Marketing. Each week, we explore the mindsets, skill sets, and tool sets the top B2B marketers use to drive results. Gain actionable insights, one masterful, revenue-generating success story at a time. Let's get started. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Master Marketer Show. Today, we're doing something a little bit different, uh, taking it back a bit, and it's just going to be three marketers shooting the shit uh, about customer research and why it's important. That's our topic for today, gentlemen. So we got James Ricks and Joseph Lewin with me here today. Um, so I guess maybe to, to get us started, um, you know, a lot of a lot of marketing that's done out there is, uh, we were talking about this before we hit record, is kind of done based on assumptions and conjecture that are not really based on any insight. It's sort of like, well, I think this thing's important as a marketer. And then we go and we create a campaign and we test it out and see what happens. Uh, not we. We don't do that. We do it differently. Um, so I think that that's maybe a good place to start is, you know, the, the why of customer interviews and customer research is we don't want to be doing that. We don't want to be making just random assumptions about wh- what's happening in the market or how people think or why they're thinking in a certain way or why they're feeling a certain way, etc. So... Um, I guess I'll just, yeah, I'm going to stop there. Anything you all want to add? I, I mean, that's exactly it. If, if you're not lo- hearing it straight from the customer, then it's, it may as well be, you know, a completely different language. Like it, it may, it's just completely irrelevant. If it's not the words they use, it's not going to connect. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of money. And, uh, and there's different stages of like customer interviews you can do. It can be leading up to becoming a customer. So that's like going to influence your marketing. That could be once they are a customer, that's going to influence your, you know, your customer service and the way that you take care of your customers after that. But no matter what you do, if it's not using their own words, it's over their heads. It's not going to matter to them. It could be post-mortem too. I mean, that's always a powerful yeah. one. Like yeah. it could be post-mortem after a customer leaves. It could be post-mortem after you lose a deal. Both of those are great opportunities to understand and get different insights in terms of like the why, because the why is what's important. Right. Yeah. I mean, and what you're doing during a customer interview really depends on what your goals are. And it's going to be hard to encapsulate everything you need in, in an interview or even in a set of interviews, because it really just depends on, on, on what your goal is. But I mean, I've worked in quite a few different areas of marketing. So product marketing, focus more on right, the writing side, both for blog writing or copywriting and um and yeah just general content creation videos and stuff like that and what you need from your customers is going to vary depending on what type of marketing you're doing so i mean if you're in the product marketing side doing those interviews is important to help work with the sales and product team to define what the product actually is and maybe there's some things about your product that you're assuming need um that your customer actually has a very different viewpoint on it and that could be something even about why they use the product to begin with. So you've made some assumptions, you've made a product, people start using it. Once you start doing customer interviews from the product marketing side, you start going, wait, you're using our product to do what? <laughs> and they're like, oh yeah, we've changed all these different things and we've used these custom fields to do X, Y, and Z if it was in the software space. And and you're like, oh, that's not what the software's for at all. But then it starts to go, man, there's this whole other segment of people 
that if we make a few small changes to our software, we could like open up a totally different market. And without doing research from the product marketing side, you're not going to know that. Um, but then on the flip side, if it's for copywriting, any good copywriter worth their salt is going to do customer interviews because your customer has language that they use to describe the challenges they're facing, um, why they chose you specifically, what makes you different than other people. And it, if you're not getting that language from the customer, there's going to be a disconnect no matter what. And most of the time when you interview five to 10 customers, you're going to start hearing some common themes across where you're like, oh, wow, that's a word I wouldn't have used to describe. But now three out of five of our current customers that we've interviewed use this same word. Let's make sure to test that out in our next ad set or, you know, landing page or whatever. Brought, brought to mind two things. Um, one is a story actually that relates just to that. There's a popular to-do list app that I use uh, in, in my life. And they recently, their marketing team put out this blog post about, uh, this big feature of their software that they thought no one used. And they, it was a big blog post about why they're taking it away and, and how they feel like it's, you know, the best thing to do for the platform. Turns out that was one of the main features that power users of this app use and, and rely on for their, you know, setting up filters and things like that that show tasks in specific buckets. Anyway, big, big oversight in missing really customer research that would have led led them to know how important that feature was. I, I didn't leave. I, I still love them, you know, but I, I, maybe some did, you know, so maybe they've lost some, some goodwill, you know, with it because of that. Uh, the other thing is customer interviews and research can also help, um, help you gauge how clearly your message is understood by people. So one, one of my, and we're going to get into favorite questions, I think that we ask, but if you can ask questions that ask something along the lines of what, what would you describe that we do to someone uh, that doesn't know what we do and what they give you back is the core of what they understand about what you do and how closely that matches to your mission statement or your motto or like, you know, whatever, whatever it is that you do, it, it better and ideally it aligns with that, but if not, you have some learning there that you can improve messaging, improve the way you go to market, that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, that's a, one of the most common ones that uh, I mean, we like to do is you start with stakeholder interviews first, get a, I mean, for a variety of reasons, one of which is to understand, okay, what, what do the, you know, the founders, the sales team, the, kind of the executives, the leaders, et cetera. What, what do they believe? What do they think? What do they know? And then you test that against what are your customers actually saying? And it's amazing how big that disconnect is at times. Not always, but sometimes you get into it and then you kind of turn around, turn it back around and be like, you guys are saying this. Your customers are way over here saying something totally different. So... Either you don't understand them, they don't understand you, you're going after the wrong market. It could be a bunch of different reasons why that disconnect exists, but something doesn't jive and you're never going to be able to scale if that, if that continues to be the case. Yeah, and I think one piece with, with all that this that's important to keep in mind is uh, the, language, the language that you need to use is, is the language that's going to connect with a customer, not the language that you like as a marketer or, or the founder likes or whatever. And I know that for people who are used to doing this kind of stuff, often it sounds cliche, but there's it's so often that the people who are approving marketing messages are 
executive the executive team at a company and they just go oh, i don't like that wording and i i've i've specifically had that happen before i was paid to do customer research um a while ago and um there's this specific word that came up um over and over and over again it was camaraderie and uh every single interview that i did that word came up now I don't especially like that word. I don't think, you know, if I'm putting on my like words that I like hat, it certainly doesn't fit into that bucket. It's kind of weird, a weird word, but every single customer used it. So to me, that's something that needs to go on the website. You know, that needs to be front and center. That needs to be something that's used, at least test it out. Um, but when I presented this, the um, the people that were in charge of then taking that and putting it in messaging specifically cut that word out and they're like yeah this is great we really like it you know but you know there's some things we're going to leave out like camaraderie and i'm like no <laughs> don't leave that out it was the most used word out of anything so you know just making sure that you recognize that it's not what you like it's what is the market saying and let the market decide what language to use and and what your product is because they they know better so even even within our one company, I'm, uh, we're, we're going to get some disagreements here. I'm, I'm going to challenge that just a little bit, and the the, the reason why it, it just came up with a with a client. I don't get to do these very often anymore, but I, I was just doing a uh, some strategic narrative work for uh, for a client, doing some interviews, and same thing actually happened. Like we recommended something, and now these it's a smaller, much smaller organization, founder led, still you know owner led. And one of the piece of feedback was like, you know what? I just, I get it. I, I, like, I, I believe this, this word is overused in the industry. I understand why they're using it. I believe it's redundant. And I just think if I have to see it every single time, (laughs) I'm going to hate myself kind of thing. So I think there, I think there's, I think there's a, there's a happy medium there. And the, the other, the other example I'll give you is, for our own too. I mean, Gabby and I have had countless, uh, I don't know if they're arguments, but like discussions uh, about, you know, like, cause I was usually in your shoes. I'm like, look, I, I, I don't care what you think. Like, this is what the customers are using. She's like, I don't care. I don't like it. Right. And at some point you got to realize like, well, you know, because our company is still very much founder led and we're like, this is our baby. And we look at it every single day. Like we, you have to be, okay with what's there. Like this is where the thesaurus can oftentimes be your best friend. Um, you know, like, all right, fine. It's not camaraderie. What's another way to say it? That That's it's still going to resonate. Um, the other thing out there, out there too, I think, and this is very much up for discussion, but would the flip side of customer interviews and also not even the flip side, but getting maybe deeper into how to do them well is, I forget what the, what the exact quote is, but it's like, uh, and I forget who said it, to be fair, but it's something it goes something along the lines of like, um, uh, uh, people won't, uh, what is it? People don't know what they want. They won't tell you what they think and they won't say, and they won't do what they say or something of that nature, right? So, you know, just because somebody uses a word or just because they say that they do something or that they think something or feel feel about something in a certain way, doesn't actually mean that it's going to resonate, right? So I think there, there's a, a an art and a trick maybe even to delving into that and really understanding, okay, well, it, is, this, is this really what you mean? Yeah, I, I think if, um, you know, in that example, Mike, that you shared of, of the client, I was in that call as well. And 
in that case, they're really trying to differentiate themselves as a company with the rest of the industry. And so if, if not using the same words that everyone else is using, uh, gets that done, then I think that's, you know, we're getting into the weeds here of this, but you, you have to be willing to take what you learn from these interviews, even if it doesn't align with what you hoped they'd say and do something about it. And if that means use words that they're using, great. But if you need to not use those words and what you learn from that interview is this is the words that the rest of the industry is using, we're going to use different words to create a category, you know, for example, then you still have got an excellent learning that you can't get any other way, uh, you know, from these interviews. With, yeah, with the stakeholder interviews, I know we're not talking a lot about stakeholder interviews, but one of the questions that I love asking in those interviews is, what do you wish people knew? Uh, and, and they'll, you know, they'll usually throw out like, you know, we're, we're more expensive than other people, but this is why, you know, and that's where you start to get to the nuggets of what actually matters to them. Then you take that to the customers and say, did you know this? Do you know this? Do you, you know, you validate that and now you have something actually that you can uh, take and implement again, but you just got to be willing to use and, and, you know, do what, what, what you learn. Otherwise you might as well have not done the interviews. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's interesting. Oh, go ahead, Joseph, go for it. You brought up a good point in there about, in a sense, like you, it has to be something that you actually can take action on. And it kind of ties together what Mike was sharing and, and James, what you were sharing. And that's, um, if you don't have buy-in from whoever's going to actually be implementing this language. So like we're an agency, we work with a cust- with customers, they have their sales team, they have their executive team, they have their marketing team. And we have to try to figure out a way to get the best thing that we can actually in front of the customer. And so in the end of the day, language that's much better than what they're using, that's closer to what the customer's saying, but that the executive team actually feels comfortable sharing in a, in a sales meeting, that in the end of the day is better messaging than the perfect messaging that perfectly aligns with what the customer is saying, but that the team is never actually going to use. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I think there's another ta- ta- tangent we could take maybe later on in the conversation if it makes sense about how to test some of that stuff out early on to bring some data behind what you're doing. Um, but I know Mike had something else to share on this topic. Oh, I was, I was going to... Uh kind of go in the same direction there in terms of, I think, James, what you brought up is, uh, you know, there's this um, way of thinking like, oh, just the market will tell you what to do. Yes and no, right? I think in a very established market, maybe that's the case. But even then, like the reality is, is, again, sometimes people will say one thing and they will do something different when they're presented within a different way. So I think the, the idea is, again, kind of maybe even going full circle is what you were saying, Joseph, you have to come into the interview with an objective. What are you trying to find out? What questions are you trying to answer? What do you need to know? Are you trying to validate messaging? Are you trying to validate a position? Are you trying to validate whether something is or is not a problem? Whatever, right? And then based on what you find out, that's an insight. It doesn't mean you have to use it in a one-to-one direct way. It's like, oh, well, they say it's a problem. That means it's a problem I have to tackle. Maybe, maybe not. Why is it a problem, right? Well, how do you feel about that problem? Like, whatever. There's there's a bunch of different things you can gather from it, and you build that insight into, and again, you can, you can you know, I guess you can think of like a coin, right? You can take one, one side or the other. Both are going to be valid, 
So, yeah, and that's that's where it needs to be said that you know if you do one customer interview with one person and you go and immediately implement everything that they say or switch entirely to everything that that one customer talked about, uh, then you're you've missed the you know the point. You need to be doing. Ooh, that's a good one. I don't know if we want to put a number on it, but I'd say at least ten to fifteen, right? So you get statistical significance of this many people are saying this over and over and over again, maybe more, maybe it's a hundred, maybe, I don't know. I mean, it depends uh, for what, right? I mean, we're sure. talking customer interviews. If you're going to do a hundred interviews, you're going to be doing interviews till you know, cows come <laughs> home kind of thing. Yeah. I, I, I think yeah. for me, the minimum is five with five interviews. I yeah. feel like it's and again, you have to have a plan meaning, okay, my plan is to talk to these types of people and they're all going to be those types of people. And I'm going to talk to them about the same exact thing. So, I mean, obviously the conversation can veer, but you sort of, as long as you have a similar enough conversation with similar enough people at similar enough companies in similar types of positions, having similar types of challenges, et cetera, et cetera, right? Now you've got enough of a, of a, a qualitative data set to actually do something with. But yeah, a lot of the time I have, like I've made that mistake before. Like, you know, sometimes... Sometimes people aren't very charismatic, like the people that you interview, right? But then you get somebody that just is a very great conversation. Like, oh my God, this person really knows their shit. I'm going to do what they say. And they're an outlier. But you don't know that. <laughs> and you just, you know, so like you have to be careful about like how attached you get to the person on the other side too. Exactly. Yeah, I have another example point. of that. I, I just finished a round of, of customer interviews and... Uh, w one of the things that I was trying to understand was what sort of podcasts, you know, they listen to in their professional or their personal lives. And I think I did five interviews and four of them said, podcast, not really my thing. I, I work from home now, so I don't have a commute, you know, so I don't listen to a ton. But the fifth one that I had today said, I am a podcast fiend, you know, so you, you gotta, you gotta do enough that you get what you're looking for. Uh, and not that I was looking for yes, we listen to podcasts, that's the answer. I'm looking to validate other things, but you know what I'm saying? Like you have to, if I would have stopped at three and never got to that person, we potentially could miss the opportunity to create a relationship at scale with that type of person. Uh, and sometimes you got to follow up right? with another research medium, right? So let's assume you did five interviews, four say, nope, don't listen to podcasts. One say you do. Let's assume we have a hunch that podcasts are an important medium. Well, there are other, I mean, there's third party data you can gather, but then you can also put out a survey to their customer base and say, Hey, do you listen to podcasts? Yes or no. And which podcast do you listen to? You know, whatever. And depending on what that comes back with, I mean, maybe it's 40% of their customer base listens to podcasts. Well, that's a pretty large set, right? So maybe, again, I'm totally making this up. We didn't do that yet, but I think that's the thing is you don't always end with customer interviews. Yeah. And I think there's another piece here that I, I don't want to go down too many rabbit holes, but it, I'll just mention it as in the research that you're doing. First of all, I think a huge mistake is to just do interviews and then feel like you've done customer interviews and you're you're good to go. Like if you're if you're working on a project, you're working on a campaign, or you know, or if you're an agency and you're coming in to do work and you really need to understand what's going on, um, you need to do customer interviews and really like dive into that five, ten, fifteen interviews, something like that. Um, but Customer interviews aren't something that you just do and you're done. You should you should be consistently figuring out ways to get in front of customers. And that could be having people on your team on the customer experience side getting on, 
Um, it could be something where, you know, you're building one-on-one -on -one relationship with the sales team or marketing team or whatever, creating content with your ideal customers just so that you have a pulse on the market. Because it then you're continually gathering data consistently in real time. And I mean, to me, that's super important. But a couple other ways of, of doing research alongside customer interviews that I, I think are really important would be listening in on sales calls if you have a sales team, because there's other types of information that you're going to find in other questions. Like, for instance, like you're sharing, Mike, people don't necessarily know or say the same things that they actually would ask themselves. You know, they're you're interviewing them, they're thinking more about it than they ever would or analyzing themselves or thinking about what you're going to think about them. There's all kinds of factors that play into interviews. Whereas somebody who's on a sales call, if they, if they ask a specific question, there's a reason they're asking that question. And if you hear that same question five times, well, that's a question that you need to make sure you have content to answer. And no matter how many customer interviews you do, you might not uncover that kind of content. And also just like, how is our message being presented by the sales team? And is it clear and concise? And are people understanding it and paying attention to body language if it's a recorded call and whatever. So you can start to see where is our message falling falling flat and where do we need to make some changes? And I think that's a really important area of customer research outside of interviews. It's important to add into the mix if possible. Yeah, I think you, you if you want to pull on that thread maybe a little bit further even, I think the main thing that you brought up is it's not it's not a one and done. Right. And the reason is like a lot of the time when people do the customer interviews, like they're trying to build out their ICP, right? I mean, we, we create that for clients. The reality is that the ICP document, once you have it, it's not static. You're always, there's always insights that come out. They're like, oh, well, we didn't know about that yet. I didn't realize that customers care about this. So now you add that in, right? And then maybe over time, again, the, the adjustments are smaller and smaller increments usually until you maybe go into a new, a new market or you release, release a new feature or whatever it is. Um, or a new competitor enters the market new or, a new, enters, you know, exactly. whatever, new technology. And, you know, there's all kinds of different factors that could come up. Yeah. And if you don't have your finger on it, you might not know. Yep. The example, that come, like this is another example of something that might, be the cause for doing customer interviews, but you know, something like a global pandemic rolling around, you know, or a economic recession, like that might be a good time to figure out what do people think and feel today. Do you remember how many commercials from car companies it seemed like during the pandemic said, we're here with you. We, you know, we're, yeah, just, we're here with you that during this unprecedented time, we're here with you. So buy this Ford, right? Truck. It was like, <laughs> Uh, that feels like marketing that was just run past the executives. Like, yeah, that sounds good. That's going to, no, that's like, that doesn't, I don't care about that. Right. So things like that, that, you know, large economic events, geez, I hope we don't have another pandemic to, to add to COVID, but you know, something like that, any, any time where the market's like, okay, what's going on? It's a good time well, to go and hear from the, them. The total, total tangent, but the reason I'm laughing is, uh, I don't know if you all have noticed this, um, we were well ahead of this. We've been talking about relationships for years. I don't know if, if you, if you all listen to commercials, like everyone's talking about, Oh, when, you know, when, when times are tough, relationships matter. It's all the financial institutions and this, that, and the other, my like, good Lord. <laughs> really? Like, yeah. I mean, yes, but come on. Yeah. How about it all the time? Matter, not, not just now. Yeah. Right. Let's not, 
Let's not get back to that. It's like the only matter now. Now, 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 when you think you're going to start losing business, now relationships matter. Okay. Um. There's a God. There's a. The reason I bring it up, there's a specific. I forget which. I forget who it's for. Uh, It's on Spotify. I get this commercial all the time, and every time Gabby and I are driving in the car, and we both look at each other like, "Oh my God!" They said relationships. Um, anyway, that's true though. Yeah. One other thing I think is, well, go ahead. No, go for it. Go for it. One other thing we're talking about more of like, how do you, I know we're kind of bouncing all over, but Hey, this is fun. We're having a good conversation. (laughs) Marketing Um, talk radio. I'm telling you, that's the the next thing. I love it. Um, one other thing with the, the structure around interviews, like I do think if you're trying to, you need to set your objectives of what you're going for. And there are some questions you should probably ask exactly the same. But then I found that, you know, you have five, six, seven interviews. You start learning a couple things in the first few interviews, and then you're either digging deeper with the next person. If you if you really feel confident, that's something that is going on. You kind of preface with that and say, you know, how do you feel about this? Do you agree with that? Which I know is leading, but that lets you then go two or three times deeper with the third person you're talking to. And then the fifth person you're talking to, you can go way deeper. And that's the kinds of insights that, that I find end up being typically most valuable like you have your whatever four or five canned questions that you're asking everybody just to make sure you're getting common language like how do you describe how do you describe this company or, and what they do you know whatever that's one you should ask to everybody or you know in, in the right depending on your goals <laughs> you should ask that one every time but that would be an example of one you'd ask every time because you want to get the string across everyone but to me what i'm trying to do in a customer interview is get past that person's logic and get into their emotion. And it's the way that they feel about the company, the way they feel about the market, the way that they, when they're going to go, Oh man, I love working with these guys because whatever, that's what I'm trying to get to. And, and so then most of the time you don't get that in your question set, you get that in the follow-up questions and, you know, as you dig deeper. So it's to me the the value of customer interviews and when you really get the best stuff, it's when you're getting two or three layers deeper than what you had in your question set um, and getting that customer to talk more and more um, and to lean on Chris Voss from Never Split the Difference. It's the unknown unknowns. What are those hidden things that the customer doesn't know <laughs> that you don't know, but that when they say it, you're like, oh my God, that's what we're missing. And it's ultimately like connecting what's missing from what the stakeholders believe about themselves and their company and their messaging and the customer. And at some point, the customer is going to reveal some piece of information that helps you connect those two dots together. And, you know, that's ultimately what you're going for. Yeah. And I think that going uh, going off of uh, you're talking about kind of getting past the logic and, and uh, getting to the uh, to the emotional response, if you will. Um, I, don't, I don't know if this is considered a hack or not, but one of my favorite ways to sort of get right into it as, as quickly as possible is asking a question like, um, and it sounds pretty general, but like, you know, what's the, what's the worst day you've ever had on the job, right? That forces them into a visceral emotional response right away. If they're willing to share, it's like, oh my God, there's this one time it was just awful. You know, this, this X, Y, and Z happened. Oh, well, why? Like, tell me more. Why was, why was that so awful? Like, why did that make you feel this way? Right. It just allows you to bypass all the other logical bullshit, if you will. That's not bullshit, but, um, and the, the, there's the flip side of that too, which is, you know, tell me like, uh, tell me like, um, not the flip side, a, a couple of different ways to ask it. Like, you know, what, what keeps you up at night is another way to do it. 
Um, uh, on the flip side of that, it's, you know, tell me about the, you know, best day you've had on the job. Like, that's the other thing. Like, what, what, what is success? How do you feel about success? And why is that, why is that there? Like those types of things, I think, can get you past the, the more logical answers. This would be interesting. I almost wonder if we should like role play doing this real time. Cause I think it, it, it's interesting, but to me, the key of what you just said is once you ask that question and they respond, not just saying, okay. And then moving on to the next question, you said, tell me more why, you know? So if I ask like, before you started working with us, what were the problems that you were facing? And they say, we just, we're having a hard time getting our message. You know, if they're working with Proofpoint, we're having a hard time, our message, it's not resonating. We're not creating enough demand. And then if I just say, okay, sweet. All right, we'll take a note of that and we'll fix that when we do your marketing. No, that's, but you say like, what, what kind of things were you hearing or how did that make you feel? What, what part of your job were you stressed out about because this wasn't happening? You know, that kind of thing. Then you get to the cool stuff where they're like, I needed to fix this or else I was going to need to look for a new job or I needed to hit this number or, you know, we were going to have to let people go, you know, or some, something like that. But you get, when you ask why, I think there's someone out there that said you should ask why five times and then you really get to it, but they say something. Why? Tell me more. They say something. Tell me what that means. How did that make you feel? You can get really deep with that. Um, and it's not just surface level, like an interrogation where you ask a question, they answer. You ask a question, they answer, you know. It's not the way that you're not going to get anything meaningful out of that. Yeah. And it, it's kind of funny because these are the same things that when I'm working with our customers that have podcasts, working on how to ask better, more thoughtful questions. And sometimes it's like even summarizing a thought into your question to kind of help it go a little bit deeper. I'm trying to think of a good way to show that as an example. But, you know, instead of just being like, um, tell me more about that. You're kind of going, man, that's, it sounds like that was a really stressful time for you. And you could just stop with that and let them go. Or you could also go, you know, if you, if you need it more targeted, cause there's something specific and you don't want them just to go off on a tangent, you could go, man, that, that sounds like it was, it was really stressful for you. You know, can you tell me a little bit more about how that level of stress affected X, Y, and Z, you know, and, th and that's, um, helps you get a much more targeted answer, but also by talking about, feeling, you know, you saying it feels like, it sounds like, it looks like, again, going back to Chris Voss, I use his stuff all the time in conversation. It, it helps target the conversation on something specific, but also lets you get those more emotional responses from people. Yeah. And like, it really gets at, which I think is where a lot of, um, Maybe not a lot, but many marketers miss or stop too soon in these is they stop at like problems and challenges. It's like, you know, and they'll dig deep, right? It, well, was this really a problem? Yada, yada, yada. Okay, great. But the, the, what you really need to understand is like, what are the, what are the skepticisms and hesitations that people have about making a decision? Right. Whether you're, it doesn't matter whether you're selling software, whether you're selling machinery, whether you're selling a service like we do. At the end of the day, there is going to be skepticism based on past experience. So you need to understand what the past experience is or was and how did they feel about it? Because now you, that gives you insight that you can then use to address and actually test. So, you know, Joseph, you're talking about like, you know, how, how can we test it? I mean, one of the, 
one of the things that we do is, you know, putting ads in the market with, with new messaging before it's really completely fleshed out and just seeing what's the response or you know, higher click through rate, lower click through rate, better engagement, lower engagement, whatever, right? And understanding is, is it resonating? Um, but the, the other thing is, is if you can get an insight like, hey, I tend to use this example a lot, but with a, um, this happens, I think, pretty often with software vendors, also with uh, service vendors, time to implementation, time to result is a major hesitation pretty consistently, right? But you need to, if you know that, now you can start testing and putting things in the market like, okay, let me get testimonials from customers, just quick little clips that specifically talk about time to result. Put that stuff out there and see if that makes any impact on, uh, you know, close rates and uh, sales cycle length and all that kind of stuff. But it's like, unless you understand that that hesitation exists, you don't really know that you need to address it. Doesn't mean that they don't have actual challenges they're trying to solve. But what's their hesitation about making a switch or choosing you as the new partner or vendor or whatever? Yeah, those, those types of questions particularly apply if the customer interviews, the, the goal that you were trying to get out of those interviews is to understand what led them to making a, you know, a purchasing decision. Um, those are huge. And, and you're right. I think a lot of people will stop at what problem do you have and how do you feel, you know, but really you need to, okay, once, once you've kind of gotten past that, you've identified that there's companies out there that can help you, whatever, uh, what did you have to go through internally? What was the decision process like? What factors were considered, you know? Um, and, and that's where I, I found that this is a, a pro tip here or something to avoid. You want to avoid asking in general, but especially in customer interviews, double barreled questions, which is a question inside of another question or a topic inside of a topic, right? Where you're saying, tell me about this, but also, you know, and I think it's just, <laughs> you get what I'm saying? Like, I, I can't even think of a good example, but we do it all the time. It's hard to not do. But it just helps your your interviewee be able to focus on what you really want to get at, instead of like trying to keep track of all these questions that you've asked. Um, you know, but I, I feel like those those that usually happens like at that stage where you get past the the problems, and now you're starting to talk about uh, some of the more intangible things. Yeah, this is very tactical, like you're saying, James. But one of the perfect examples which I hear all the time, and I've fallen into the trap of using, it's like, well, tell me. Tell me how you felt about that and, and what impact did that have on you? It's like, well, those are two separate questions. Tell me how you felt. Great. Let's get that. And then you move on to what impact did this have? Because exactly. otherwise they're going to, they're going to go to one or the other and they're going to forget about the, the other thing. So you're not going to get the mm. full insight. Yeah, um, like yeah. Yeah. And when we're talking about, so that I find that there's kind of two different ways that most people in the market end up having, they, they kind of fall into one of these, these issues. And then, if we're not careful in customer interviews, we're going to miss the other one. So either they have a problem, but they don't really associate, uh, they, you haven't gotten to the pain. So they're going to talk all about the problem. They're not actually talking about the underlying pain that's causing that problem or like vice versa. They, they have pain and they're going to, they're going to talk about it, but they're associating that pain with the wrong problem. And especially if you're in a market where you do things really differently than other people, a lot of times you have to shift the way that people think about about the problem and, and where that problem is coming from. So then it's like getting down where it is, so, you know, whichever it is, is whether it's the, the problem or the pain that they understand, you really have to get one, the other one. And they sound like they're similar, but they, it, it really makes a big difference. Cause if, if, if the person's pain is 
um, you know, that, that, uh, well, if, if somebody's blowing up and all of their colleagues and you're looking at that and you're like, what's going on, <laughs> what's going on with this? Um, you know, you, you need to, you need to calm down. You know, you're looking at the problem, but the problem is actually coming because they're a new parent and they were up all night the night before. And that the, the, the problem is coming from, or I guess maybe up. The problem is actually coming because they're not getting sleep because they have whatever an eight month old, and that's an important factor to understand if you're going to try to address that issue. And if you're just making an assumption that that the pain of of having somebody blow up in a meeting or you know whatever be grumpy or or whatnot, if you're going to try to address that, you need to understand. On if you're going to address it effectively, maybe not the best example. It's just the first thing that comes. You know, to it's mind actually it's actually like a really good out. example from uh because uh, it's making me think like okay what is the right solution for you, right? Well, if you're thinking it's, if you're just trying to address the, uh, I forget which one you called the pain. If you're just trying to address the fact that they're cranky in a meeting, it's like, oh, well, we need, um, uh, you know, we need uh, communication training or whatever. Where like, if you're thinking like benefits that need to be offered in an organization, when in reality, what you really need is sponsored daycare or something, you know, or like, uh, something of that sort or extra days off or whatever. Like what that's, yeah. that's the real solution. That's actually going to solve your problem. Or scheduling so a meeting it's, an hour it's, it's later obviously it's an, <laughs> in the day. What's that? <laughs> or maybe schedule it, trying to schedule meetings for that person an hour later in the day and take that into consideration, I mean, yeah. whatever it would be. Um, but yeah, that, I mean, and I'm, I don't have a good like customer example of that, but that's kind of what you need to do. And if you're not finding those underlying it's the underlying, you know, again, it's the unknown unknown. So if you're trying to address a grumpy person in a meeting and, and you don't have that extra information, you're, you're really going to end up barking up. The I've got a real and, one for you. If you want an example, let's do it. The, I mean, this is from interviews we did for, with our customers and prospective customers and all that uh, a while back. One of the common themes was um, like, Hey, you know, we, we don't know, like, we need new ways to, um, new frameworks, right? New frameworks, new ways to build plans, right? Because we're, we're struggling to do that. That's a pain. Okay. You could have just taken that at face value and said, great, let's do a new framework. Well, the why was, well, their, you know, whatever they were doing before wasn't working as well. And they were needing, they knew that they needed to make a change, but there were all, a lot of the pe people we ended up working with generally work in companies where the CEO is nowhere, is not a marketer. And oftentimes not even a salesperson. So what they end up having to do is they need a way to communicate and help them understand the executive team and the board understand the change in strategy. Otherwise they're going to get fired. Like that's the actual Reason. So you, you address those two things very differently in terms of how you communicate it. Right? Yes, you need the new framework and you need to help them understand it and teach it to them and all that stuff. But the way that you present it to them is different, knowing that like they're literally afraid they're going to lose their jobs if they don't fix this and they don't know how because they can't communicate it in a good way. So that's, I mean, I, I think that's kind of where you're, an example where you're going at. Yeah, I mean, I think that also leads into I would try to address pain and problem. And then there's another one that's going to be really hard to find out unless you have just the right kind of person that you're interviewing. Um, and I'm going to caveat this by saying, I think internal politics are absolutely horrible and they're poison and detrimental. So I'm going to preface with that. So when I'm, I talk about this sometimes and I've realized that uh, might 
internal politics are good and, and I don't, I think they're toxic. So I'm glad we, we try to our best to stay away from that stuff internally, but you have to understand, especially if you're working with companies, large enterprises, large organizations, there's inter- internal politics involved. And so you have to also the actual pain, business pain and business problems and be thinking in terms of what is, what, how is this affecting this person on a, on a personal level? And that gets back to the skepticism thing you were talking about. So not only thinking in terms of how can we mitigate business risks, that's a very logical thing. And if you're working with procurement committees and stuff, or, but if you want to get in way before the procurement committee is involved and be part of the process of like defining what the solution is going to be or whatever, you have to start figuring out uh, how to get a champion internally way earlier on. And the type of person that's going to be a champion is going to be somebody who in terms of how is this going to help me to grow in my career? Because the kind of person that's going to champion change and go against the grain, and we're going a little off of customer interviews, but this is, I think this is some of the most important stuff you can find if you're selling into an organization. So if the personality that's going to drive change against the status quo, typically, not always, but typically going to be a more driven person that wants to grow in their career, and they're willing to take a career risk in order to have the potential gain. With somebody like that, they're going to be savvy. They're going to be thinking about, if I bring in a new vendor, how is that going to affect my position in the organization? If I have to introduce this pull on my team, what's that going to make me look like? And how is that going to help me You know, either grow in my career or how is that going to totally destroy me if this goes wrong? And you have to, if you can learn what those pieces are and how they all work together, you can figure out ways to make your offer and your messaging as low risk as possible and it's high upside reward on the personal side for working with you. Um, it gets a little bit more complicated because that might be changing your the product offering that you're doing or whatever. It gets a little more complex to solve that problem. But if you can get that kind of information out of somebody in an interview, that's like way beyond problem solution, way beyond pain, way beyond all of that, and into what really drives the needle at it to drive change at some of these big organizations. Yeah, I mean, one of the, again, sort of a... Uh trick or hack, whatever you want to call it. One of the, one of my favorite questions to get to that, uh, type of information is, um, you know, tell me, tell me about the last time you switched vendors because that, and you can even guide them by going, tell me about the, the last time that you had a bad experience switching vendors. Cause again, this will give you an understanding of how do they think about change? And what types of, you know, where have they been burnt before? What types of bad experience have they had before? And how is that going to impact future decision-making? And again, usually, and again, one person, whatever, but you can usually start finding common threads of what are people worried about in turn with a specific type of vendor change, whether that be a marketing agency, whether that be a CRM vendor, whether that be an ERP vendor, there's usually very specific types of things. Everyone's most people have had a change either that they spearheaded or that they lived through based on somebody else's decision. And those experiences are what matters, right? To address kind of what you were talking about. And I think that that's a good way to get at that line of questioning without making it feel like awkward or whatever. (laughs) Tell me about the last time you did something that benefited you and and hurt the company. Probably not going to get very far with that. (laughs) Another thing I thought we'd uh, talk about, a little little tangential, but along the same lines of hearing from customers, maybe 
calling it an interview is not the right way, but, um, and this is a play from, from the software world from SaaS that's pretty popular, but forming a customer advisory board, uh, which, you know, which is a panel of selected customers that you've chosen that are, are kind of those champions. They're your loyal advocates. They're your evangelists. Um, and, and setting up, you know, we, I've done quarterly cab calls, client advisory board uh, calls, things like that. But those are also great places to get product feedback, you know, market feedback, things like that. Um, you know, I've even took some messaging to that, but that, that's more of a call where all stakeholders are, are brought in, not just marketing. Uh, you know, you got sales, you got customer success, you got everyone there, product. Um, but I, I think this is a play that would be interesting for a lot of people that we work with, with professional services and, and med tech, biotech, um, you know, th things like that. E-commerce could even do this, you know, forming a client advisory board saying, Hey, we, we've, we've noticed you're, a, you've been a customer of ours for a long time. We, we see value in our relationship and, you know, maybe you give them a, a discount on your services or something like that to, to thank them for their time, make it worth their while. But it's another way that you can get a lot of this valuable feedback is a client advisory board. Yeah. I mean, interesting e-commerce does, I think. I don't know if this is where it started, but e-commerce definitely does do this, right? The, there's oftentimes like the the really good and successful direct-to-consumer brands, especially they'll have some sort of uh, like VIP club or program or whatever. And it's not like a formal advisory board, but they use it as such, right? So they'll have events and then they're like, oh, tell us what you think about XYZ, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. they'll, they'll send them extra surveys and in exchange they'll get extra gift cards, you know. Coupons or that that type of thing. So I mean, e-commerce definitely does a lot of that. Um, but yeah, I think it. And th this goes back to the point, Joseph. I think that you were making like there. You have to have, like, yes, the upfront customer interviews are great, but you have to have something available to you, one thing or a couple of different things, to consistently keep getting these customer insights. Again, that cabs are great podcasts, webinars, events, like there's a million different ways to do it. But um, having that continuous thread of customer insights is just critical. Totally. Yeah, and you have to do it in a way that's beneficial to them where they get something out of it. That's why I've really enjoyed doing podcasts myself and working with our customers on podcasts because um, even I know that some people aren't going to get the value that they get out of going on a podcast, but going on a podcast is extremely valuable on a, you know, for you as an individual, for your company that you work for, it's just, it's free publicity and better publicity than you're going to get for any kind of content you're going to create internally. Cause it's giving you credibility from, from the external side. So, you know, being invited onto a podcast is, is, is really valuable. So when you have one and you're inviting somebody on and you're saying, we want to make you look good. We want to give you an opportunity to talk about your expertise. Um, you are actually giving them something that's really valuable. In exchange, you're learning about them. You're growing rapport with the individual, but then you're also gaining customer insights like every time that you have that that call. And not just stakeholders, but then you could also be interviewing people who are, who are tangential in the process that still influence your decision maker, but they're not the direct person. And honestly, that person, those people that have a lot of influence on your decision maker, they're going to be a little bit hard to, harder to nail down for a customer interview. Um, and I think something like a podcast um, is a is a better way to get information from somebody like that and learn more about uh, how they affect that decision-making process in their organization. Yeah, and this is maybe, maybe this is a good place to wrap up and uh, foreshadow maybe a next, the 
the next conversation that we're going to have on the on the uh, marketing talk radio, uh, power hour, whatever. Anyway, title to be determined um, is the is the the full not committee even, but like those internal influencers, internal and external. And, you know, everybody wants to talk to the decision maker, but um, under you, you can, f within customer interviews, I think it's important to find out who else is involved. And I think this is maybe where we'll kind of create a cliffhanger a bit because um, what oftentimes people do is, you know, you, you hear, or you, you hear this both either in discovery, uh, customer interviews or sales discovery calls. And the question is almost always the same, which is, oh, who else needs to be involved? Or who else is usually involved to make this decision? And they'll usually rattle off, oh, blah, 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 blah. And most people go, okay, cool. And maybe they'll ask, oh, should we get them involved? You know, if it's a sales call. The reality is, going back to Joseph, your politics thread that you were bringing up, there's a lot of people that get involved, quote unquote, but their opinions do not freaking matter. Like they get involved just because of politics. Like, oh, well, we have to involve Sue from accounting, but I don't really give a shit what Sue thinks, right? <laughs> it's, it's, her opinion is not actually going to be used to make this decision. But to make her feel good, we'll include her in the meeting, right? This happens all the time. So what's important is you got to dig for whose opinion actually matters. Who has clout? Who do you really need to influence? Who do you really need to build a relationship with? Some of that you can understand and build through the customer interviews. Like, and again, understand like who, who's a, you know, and again, you can do that by asking a, a situational question. And this is where things get interesting, right? Because same reason you ask situational questions in, in, in job interviews is the same reason you want to ask them in customer interviews because yeah. it makes them think about an actual thing and they'll give you real life information rather than what they're thinking about at that moment. So if you ask like, hey, the last time that you made this switch with the vendor, whatever, um, who was involved? Oh, so-and-so. Okay, well, did, who, who, uh, whose opinion was used to make this decision? Oh, well, really only me and so-and-so. Cool. Thanks. <laughs> that is interesting, though, and that's, that's definitely, we could, we could have another whole episode about that and diving into uh, to those things. And that is what we'll do. We'll talk about building... <laughs> uh what we call the the relationship uh pyramid next time that's a good topic well, all right well thanks everybody awesome. for listening to us yammer on for what, about 50 minutes here so hopefully this was useful and join us again next week thanks for joining us on another episode of the master marketer show We'll be back next week with more B2B marketing success stories. Visit our website, www.proofpoint.marketing, for the full episode library complete with show notes, guides, templates, and more. Make sure to follow Proofpoint Marketing on LinkedIn and YouTube so you never miss an episode. Listen every Wednesday wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time.